Welcome to the Chuan Chuan Podcast, a bilingual podcast where every episode we use English and Chinese to explore various social, cultural, and contemporary issues in the aim of giving our listeners a useful tool to improve either or both their English or Chinese language ability. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number two of the Island series, where. Jeff and I are attempting to plan out our new island paradise, our new civilization, our new country.、Um, last week we had a pretty broad discussion about what we need to do to make this island a reality and what kind of problems we're going to encounter.、And、I think it was good to include everyone in that, so everyone's kind of involved right from the start. We're not making any decisions behind the scenes at all, and from that we've decided to choose.、Um, To focus on inequality this week, so we kind of recognise.、Uh, Jeff and I both agree that equal opportunity is a good thing,、um, but it, it's not very clear how we can achieve that, and it's not very. It's not clear if it's desirable. It's not clear if it's achievable.、Um, so yeah, let's just let's just get into it. Yeah,、uh, I think so, maybe we should just start、yeah. with、um, just defining equal opportunity. Um, and I think the easiest way to do that is to contrast it with equal outcome. So I think a lot of、um, economists talk about equal opportunity versus equal outcome, including our most favorite economist, Mr. Thomas Sowell, who was、uh, <laughs> recently 90 years old、uh, last week. So happy birthday, Mr. Sowell! Happy birthday!、Um, but yeah, he talks about most people like the idea of equality, but they don't actually. Define equality、uh, properly. They they think of equality as equal outcome. Like we all get the same amount of money, or we get all the same outcome,、um, no matter what we do.、Um, but really, like equality is about equal opportunity, which is we both can stand on the same ground, and based on our merit and based on our hard work,、um, we will end up with di- different outcomes. But we. We aren't discriminated on that even footing. Yes, so I think the difficulty with equal opportunity is that you could wipe the slate completely clean, give everyone equal opportunity, the outcomes will be different, and then that first generation will have children, and then their children will immediately not have、um, the same level of equal opportunity as the first generation did. And if nothing is done, that will perpetuate into the future. So, it seems like a particularly thorny problem to solve.、Mm. I mean, can we tackle what you just said there? As、um, this will perpetuate into eternity, does does it actually perpetuate? Do we have any?、Um, have you read any data that shows that this keeps going forever? I haven't actually. No, and I, I am aware there is a good Chinese saying that has something to say about this. Yeah. <laughs> so、um, there was a Chinese proverb that I read recently,、um, and basically it says that the wealth never goes past three generations. It's the、mm. I think it's the people that make it, the people that spend it, and the people that you know start again and have nothing. So the third generation has nothing, basically. I think Western civilization has something to say about this as well. There's a saying that goes: "Hard times produce strong men. Strong men.、Uh, hard times produce strong men. Strong men produce good times. Good times produce weak men. 
weak men produce bad times. That's uh, way more complicated, but yeah, I guess I've just about <laughs> got it. So it's interesting. So there could be there could be a cycle to these things, but yeah, and I think it's also like it's very easy for us to get biased and basically assume there is no um, equal opportunity in the long run because it doesn't end or doesn't. It doesn't end in our generation, right? If it's a three-generation thing, we're never going to see... If we're the ones that are facing inequality or we feel like we're not getting those equal opportunities because of, you know, equal outcomes of our forefathers... um, Sorry, unequal outcomes by our forefathers in the past, uh, we're the ones that are going to be distressed and be like, there's not any equal opportunity, we need to campaign, we need to protest, you know, we need to do things about that. I'm not saying that's wrong, but it's just like, maybe it's a little bit short-sighted because actually those things do come around eventually, maybe. Right. So they, even if they do come around, though, it's still not fair for the second generation, I think. And nobody thinks of their... People don't generally tend to think of their whole family lineage, right? Maybe you think of your parents and your children. But if we, if we want to treat people as individuals, we can't treat them as, um, you know, multi-generational family individuals that's not where the that's not the atom that we deal with we deal with the actual individual so i would say that if it is unfair for the individual then that is a problem that's true i mean that's how most most people end up on the left especially when you're younger because you know you like um another modern philosopher i follow these days naval bravikant he says you know everyone sorry Actually, no, he actually quotes, I think, um, another, someone else, but he, he basically says, you know, everyone starts off, you know, poor, um, poor and, and, and stupid, basically. And, you know, <laughs> poor and ignorant is the word he used, a much better word. Poor and ignorant. And from that, you know, we've, we've got to make our own way in the world. And, um, from what you're saying is, um, yeah, the, some people will, and will start, uh, rich and ignorant, but, most people, because of what we said, the inequality of, of, of outcome, um, start very poor. And so we, we want to almost socialize our losses in a way, or well, not even losses, our, our, our wealth in a way, so we can kind of gain from, from those who have it. Um, what you're saying is that at some point it needs to come from somewhere else, right? Unless we get it from some, something somewhere external, like in a different country or, I don't know, another planet or something like that. We're going to have to take it from the people that have it right now, right? That is what is difficult because I think both extremes of the argument are, they can't coexist. So I understand that if we were to do it through taxation, um, that would be essentially taking money from rich people and giving it to poorer people. But then if we don't do that, we don't have an equal, we don't have an equal opportunity society. Like we just don't. And so here's another thing that I think about. <laughs> There could be Einsteins being born. And this is, I mean, I suppose this is a typical left-wing argument. I was left-wing for most of my life. So there could be Einsteins being born in Africa, right? Or more to the point, there could be Thomas Sowell. Thomas Sowell was only born in America because of slavery. And Thomas Sowell wouldn't become Thomas Sowell if he didn't have that opportunity. And there is potentially a large part of the human uh, ingenuity pool that's just being lost um, forever. And that's not... It's, only, it's, it's not just unfair. I mean, it, it, we all lose because of that. And I think there is an argument for... I mean, that is a collectivist argument as well. Um, but I don't know. Maybe we can't be extreme individualists because I think 
empathy and working together is something that is part of our human nature as well. And maybe any society that we do build um, does need to feed that part of us as well, especially uh, I, for children. I do agree with that, but I mean, you could you could tackle that in two different ways, right? So actually, I've got a couple of points. The first point I wanted to mention was that um, actually just because someone else is gaining doesn't mean that someone else is losing. So for instance, mm. um, what you're talking about of equal outcome is about like, okay, so let's say everyone starts with $10 and then someone ends up with $100 and someone ends up with nothing, right? That's kind of like a, a zero-sum game. If someone else wins, so if someone wins, someone else ends up losing. But life isn't really like that, right? Um, we can actually generate more wealth. And even if someone in our generation is richer because of their parents, it doesn't mean we're necessarily less well off. So that would give the argument, like, what right do we have to take away from someone that is successful in their past and gave to their children? Does it make sense to do that? And if okay, you, and, so and you doing that, does that actually help in the long run? I mean, it disincentivizes people to actually be successful and, and generate that wealth. So could you maybe expand on that a bit more? So let's let's try to il illustrate it a bit more. So I, in, on our island, we have 10 people. Mm. And at the end of generation one, let's say, uh, and let's say there's $100. So everyone, we give everyone $10 at the end of generation. And we force everyone to have a child in the same year uh, when they're all like 30. So, um, but the problem is we find that at, when they're all 30, um, Two people have $90, uh, $91, no, $92, and the rest have $1. So, I mean, I think we should immediately just change this situation around and not have them have actual dollars right now. So let's say that okay. they just have resources, right? And we can give their resources a value amount, right? Let's just say it's in US dollars for argument's sake without creating a... Okay. Creating a new currency is, a, is always a tough thing. So let's say we don't have a currency right now. I'm sure you'd love to do that. Yeah. Sure it'd be crypto. <laughs> yeah. So on this island, um, let's say we have farmers and lumberjacks, right? That's the only two things we have. We have lumberjacks to get wood and farmers that make food, right? And okay. for argument's sake. And it just so happens that, um, you know, shelter is a lot harder to come by. So the lumberjacks end up trading less of their wood for more food. So the farmers, um, I guess, give away more of their food than than wood that the lumberjacks have. So the lumberjacks end up with a stockpile of wood plus a bunch of um, grain for food, right? Like they have more than enough grain, maybe even stockpiling, it, and the farmers just just have enough just have enough wood and maybe just enough grain. So they they're just getting by, and the lumberjacks are okay. in resource terms richer than the, than the farmers, right? Okay. So in this situation, um, in the first generation, we might think, okay, so the lumberjacks are richer. Um, now in the next generation, actually, the kids or whatever have a high, they have more opportunity than the kids of, say, the farmers. Yes. But I think maybe in the second generation, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily, I, it's, 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 it's always a relative thing, right? Rich and poor, right? So the farmers won't, they, will get jealous of the lumberjacks because they've got more resources, but actually like it just ended up that way because, um, you know, lumber was, uh, harder to come by and therefore it was a more precious resource. 
But can I clarify a little bit more? So sure. the first the first generation, let's say they, they could all freely choose what profession they wanted to go into and the mm. lumberjacks just made a better bet. Mm. So there's no case for the first generation whatsoever. Mm-hmm. The, the, the problem only starts from the second generation because the kids all come into this world. Um, let's say the kids all come into this world like, you know, without sin. You know, they haven't done it. Mm-hmm. And... The kid, the children of the lumberjacks. So even if, if being a lumberjack is more profitable, the if you're a child of a lumberjack, you're probably going to learn how to be a lumberjack better. Mm. I mean, you just you know, you, the chances are you're going to end up being a more skillful lumberjack just mm-hmm. because of that. And if nothing else on the island changes, if being a lumberjack is always more profitable, then that you know, I, I feel like we would need to do something to avoid that situation. Just. For the sake of the kids. I mean, it sounds like really cliche, <laughs> um, but let's 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 not put a moral. I don't know. I mean, I suppose we are dealing with morals, but let's let's just say, could we agree that it's unfair on the kids? Do you, would you even would you go that far? I wouldn't go that far yet. I mean, because literally that happens every day in our society. Like every single day, we're all born with different parents, right? So I wish mm. we wouldn't call that unfair. Like this is not mm. a case of. This, they still have equal opportunity. So if I keep keep the example going, second generation, the kids the kids are more likely to become lumberjacks because lumberjacks is um, a more precious resource in this particular situation. So some of the farmers might even get taught the farmers' kids might get taught by the lumberjacks and become lumberjacks. And what happens here is maybe the lumberjacks end up there's more lumberjacks, so the resource end up, ends up getting spread among the people that are lumberjacks now and there are less farmers. So the price of grain goes up and it starts to equalize. And I would argue yeah, that, so... that having the market kind of deal with this over time is, is, is better than forcing the lumberjacks to hand over some of their wood, which would in turn basically make people disincentivized to become lumberjacks and maybe create another problem in the market. Okay. So you think even from the child's perspective, it's not unfair to them. Uh, even though they are born into, I mean, let's say we had a situation where people didn't actually reproduce themselves and we grew the next generation in a vat, in vats, and then we sent them out onto this island. Um, the ones who ended up with the lumberjacks would be an, at an advantage. Um, and probably, I don't know if anyone would, would choose to go with the farmers. So, but if we force them, I mean, what is essentially happening is that we're forcing kids, in a way, into situations. So it's a bit of a harder argument to make, I suppose, because nature is the thing that's doing it. I don't know if that changes the facts of the situation. And we, we could create a situation where we sterilize everyone and we, we do assign them kids. Um, do you think in that situation that uh, it's unfair to give these kids to... Uh, do you think in this situation that those kids would have an unfair advantage the ones that ended up with the lumberjacks? Um, wait, so we sterilize everyone. How do they end up with the lumberjacks? They just kind of end up on the beach and decide which homes they want to go to or what? So so when when a family turns 30, we give them a kid. I see, yeah. Okay. What's the difference between that and them having kids or forcing them to have a kid? I think the difference is that we are forcing the kids. So for the ones that end up with the farmers, we are forcing them to into a situation that's not as advantageous as the other kids are getting, the ones that we sent to the lumberjacks. 
I see. So you're saying basically because they have to like arbitrarily work harder because they're not born into wealth, they do not have those same equal opportunities. Through no fault of their own. So on the individual level, they're starting at a disadvantage through no fault of their own. And also, they didn't get a chance to be part, part of the first generation where this wouldn't be an issue, of course. Yeah, I could agree with that. That's a, that's a tough one. Yeah, so I, this is why I think it's a very interesting problem because I still feel... So, I mean, to me, even if the kids are coming through a vagina... I'm sure we can say that. Even if the kids are coming through a vagina... <laughs> that doesn't change the moral. <laughs> that doesn't change the morals of the situation to me. Um, I don't know if you are if that argument convinced you, or if if that does change it, could you say why it changes it? So I think it's a it's a problem of legacy, right? So if if I have my own child and I you know want to give them my wealth and like I have a reason to be a productive member of society now until mm. I die because I can. I can I can take my wealth and I can do something with it. One of those things is I could give it to my child, right? I can give them a mm-hmm. life that I didn't have, right? That's that's kind of like what I want to do. I'm almost like socializing my family. Now, yeah. if I don't have that incentive, I just don't have as much incentive to be a productive member of society as I would. So that's the problem yeah. I have with it. If my kid is socialized, why well, that's maybe not the right word, but like basically the playing field is just completely level every single time, right? And I'm a multi-billionaire. What am I going to do with all that money? I'm just going to, you know, I mean, like, I could be a really nice guy and, like, you know, try and figure out the way, the right way to redistribute it. But, I mean, I might as well just burn it for a full I care, right? Like, if I'm, you know, a mildly selfish guy, which I think most people are, I think you probably, yeah, play around with the money. You probably wouldn't use it as productive as uh, in the right ways, basically, right? Because... I think productive ways in the market, productive uses of money in the market, um, create a lot of value because because they incentivize, um, they're incentivized by profits. You actually create a lot of value, you know, with jobs and whatever it is, right? So if we take it to the extremes where I'm a multi billionaire and I end up doing that, I I will basically create a lot of value for society. If if I'm not incentivized to do that, I might not ever get there. And if I don't get there, uh, if I do get there, sorry, I probably will not care about using it in the right way. Okay, so my argument against that, so that's all pretty valid, which is why I wouldn't go, I would go nowhere near completely leveling the playing field for the next generation. Like mm. That is not an option to me. So, but if we want to take it as a benefit to the society, if we want to take that viewpoint, then yes, for you, you will be incentivized to work harder, totally on board with that. Your child, yeah. Are you going? Okay, so your child, though, um, okay, to make it simpler for both of us to think about, let's just say everyone has a child at 30 again. Okay, so now we have a whole new group of people, and we would probably want as a society the person. I'm, I'm gonna picture Jeff Bezos, so let's say Amazon, right? Amazon is central to the American economy, provides lots of jobs, and it's important that someone who has the right skills to run that organization has those skills. Right. And, um, if I think parents are going to be somewhat inclined to leave, um, a lot of their stock or a lot of their ownership of that company to their children, as you just said. Mm-hmm. So their children will eventually have quite a lot of control over a lot of the US economy. Now, that is not a good situation. And that is, um, not good for the economy as a whole 
in theory, what would be best for the economy is we find the person who's best able to take over Amazon, that stake in Amazon, and we give it to them. Okay. So, I mean, I would just say that, like, just because Jeff Bezos runs Amazon and gives it to his kids doesn't mean his kids will run Amazon. It just means they own Amazon, which means that they could sell it to the person best used to um, sell it to the person who could best use Amazon. You give it to the government, I not necessarily. I don't think it's necessarily. They probably won't have the better capabilities of uh, distributing that wealth in the same way as the market would be. Because if I just say, "Ah, I'm Jeff Bezos' son, and I'm selling Amazon," you know, who wants it? Um, the market can decide, right? But if you give it to the government, then you know the government can chop it up. They could they can nationalize some of Amazon if they want to, right? Okay, so you would trust that. Uh, Jeff Bezos' child would understand that he doesn't have the capabilities to run this company and would rather sell it off. I think that they should have that option because it would it would give the freedom to make the right choice. Because the opposite is you take that wealth from them in terms of like I guess it's kind of like inheritance tax or something like that, right? It would be like an inheritance. Yeah, but it wouldn't be stealing from Jeff. Be- <laughs> it wouldn't be stealing from Jeff Bezos. It would be taking away from his child and. Um, there, there is still an argument that it would be best for the economy as a whole. Maybe not best for Jeff Bezos. And maybe not best for the economy as a whole because he'd be less motivated to get there in the first place. But assuming, assuming, if we just leave that to the side for a second. So the, the thing like the, the, the other sort of situation in history that this is analogous to is when you used to have kings and queens because, because you couldn't vote in your leaders, you wouldn't actually get the best leaders. You would just get the child of the previous leader. And that that's all fine while you have a good king, but then you get like a Joffrey and you're screwed. So <laughs> nice game of <laughs> and the chances <laughs> yeah. and human nature being what it is, it's not like someone like him is gonna be like, Well, I, I'm terrible at this, I'm just gonna, you know, pass the hand the cheese over to someone else. Right. I would just say the difference between kings and queens and, you know, CEOs of companies is that CEOs of companies are, in a way, they, they, they're governed by the rules of the state and the state doesn't allow them to just, you know, use authoritarian rules to, to convince people to work for them. They need to use the market and wages and profits to incentivize people. Whereas, you know, a king or a queen would just slaughter people, right? And, you know, what happened to Joffrey? People didn't like him. So he died. <laughs> no, no, but the point is that in the process of Amazon going, like, it's kind of inefficient for Amazon to have to fall apart and another company to rise up. Okay, and, you know, a, I mean, we need to make a key difference here. There's a difference between CEO of the company, which Jeff Bezos is right now, and mm. being a shareholder, and the majority shareholder. It's not really the same thing. Mm, mm. So the shareholder doesn't have the right to just appoint himself CEO unless he has, I guess, 51% of the shares. Um, I don't know if Jeff Bezos does have that, but um, I don't think he does. But if he did, then what you're saying might have a better uh, grounding, I guess, if they could could just vote themselves into being the CEO and then destroy Amazon or something. Yeah. But I guess, I mean, actually, um, so I'm I'm actually less serious in my position now. Less, uh, I feel like inheritance tax... Because the way it works, right? I mean, I don't know how it works in every country, but in the UK, I think it's like it's about seven years, right? If you have transferred something to a child within seven years, um, it gets taxed. If I if I die in those seven years, basically, so anything before the seven yeah. years that doesn't get taxed, it can just be gifted or whatever, right? So yeah, 
I see what it's doing now. Like I never thought about it before, but I guess it's incentivizing people <laughs> to teach their kids how to use their wealth, <laughs> lest they either get taxed very heavily on it or they lose it completely. That is interesting, yeah. Because if you you need to have a child that you would be comfortable of giving most of your wealth to before you actually die. Exactly, yeah. Huh. You don't just wait until the last opportunity because you've got a job for it as a son and then give it to them because it's going to get taxed a bunch, right? So you need to teach them how to I use just... it and in those 10 years, you know, show them how to keep it. Otherwise, before you die, they lose all the money. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, it goes beyond that because you want to have a good relationship with your children because otherwise, as soon as you give them it, they're just going to... I mean, if you wanted to give them something before the seven years, before, before you really die, um, they're just going to... Well, if you gave them, say, more than 51% of your company before you die, I mean, they could just kick you out, basically, if you didn't have a good relationship. I'm uh, I'm increasingly thinking that, you know, some of the decisions that governments make are uh, very logical and actually make some sense. (laughs) Yeah, I was afraid we would. I I think every episode so far, I mean, the two that we've had, there's been like, huh, that's a bit more like the USA, huh? That's a bit more like the UK. Yes. Yeah. Um, right. So to bring it back a bit, um, so I, I mean, so I suppose what I wanted to discuss was where is the line between what I see as two extremes, which is not doing anything about the situation and just saying, oh, it doesn't, the fairness of, from the perspective of the child, the fairness to them doesn't matter because it's sort of, it was free when their parents were doing their thing. And um, the other extreme would be, we, re- we redistribute everything so that every new generation gets the same stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, we, our island would need to be somewhere between those two extremes. But if you don't agree that um, not redistributing anything is um, not actually an extreme, that's the way it should be, then we can't even have that. So I guess what I want to ask is, have you moved from that position at all? I mean, it's definitely not 100%. I mean, like, I mean let's talk about like my basic views on these kind of policies is that there needs to be a certain amount of redistribution or socializing of one defense, uh, two, some kind of negative externalities. I mean, in the, in the modern world, that'd be something like pollution of the air or something like that. It's like uh, a resource that everyone kind of shares or water or something like that. Um, and then I think to a certain extent, probably public education and hospitals and maybe some basic infrastructure like, roads or you know other things where like we'd use them rarely so we wouldn't want to like almost contribute to them but everyone kind of needs it at some level throughout their lives or year so just a note so a lot of things that we think could only be solved by the government could actually be solved by insurance so something like keeping the air clean we could all pay an insurance company that's going to promise to keep the air clean or they're going to pay us and then they would have the job of making sure the air the air stays clean Okay, so that would uh, maybe deal with negative externalities. What about stuff like defense? In theory, they could be private, <laughs> private security companies. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the yeah. that's where I really draw the line. So say it's like, I don't know what that is, right? Maybe let's say a 5% tax across the board, right? You, you take that. Actually, it reminds me because I've been watching uh, the series Snowpiercer and um, hmm. they have this big guy, what do you call him? They call him like the muscles or something or something like strong strong boy or something and basically strong boy basically uh, i hope it's not strong boy <laughs> it's something something like that but basically um, 
they're in the tail. They don't have any light. They just live in these like bunk beds and they're waiting for the opportunity to kind of revolt, right? So, and they get these little black bars, which are like, I guess, made out of cockroaches and they get turned these like protein bars, basically. Yeah. And everyone gets a protein bar. But in the tail, basically, they take their protein bar and they give it to some guy and the guy takes up 10%. And it's like, they take up the 10% and he cuts that 10% in half. And then that 5% goes to like the rats and the, um, like that are in the, the tail. And the other 5% goes to Strong Boy. They're basically socializing the fence. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> Which I think is great. And it's a great it's a great um analogy to show that yeah, like the fact is no single person would give five percent of their bar to Strongboy because it wouldn't matter to Strongboy, he wouldn't get any stronger and he wouldn't put any weight and he wouldn't you know, he wouldn't be their defense. But if everyone does it, it actually matters, right? And on the other side of it, um, if 95%, maybe it doesn't make, make a difference if 5% of the people don't give him their protein bar, but mm-hmm. you want everyone to contribute, basically. Otherwise, you end up with nothing. Wow. So then we're already, we're already moving into coercion, not ultimate freedom. I, I wouldn't call it coercion, but, I mean, we're talking about it's not taxation. Yeah, this is not good. <laughs> <laughs> early onset that's the end of part one join us next week for part two that's all we have for this episode please follow me on twitter at yishontio that's y-i-e-s-e-a-n-t-e-o-h if you would like to support the show in any way for those outside of china you can donate money at paypal.me forward slash y-i-e-s-e-a-n-t-e-o-h or subscribe to me on Patreon. All the details are in the show notes below. For those inside of China, you can donate by scanning my Weixin or Zhifubao QR codes below. Thank you so much for listening and we hope to see you all next episode. And we also have a new Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Chuan Chuan Podcast. So please like and follow me there.